Hello, I'm Michael Block. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issue in the world of sports. Today, we talk about the price of sports franchises with Chuck Baker of Old Melbourne. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Gentlemen, let's start with Tiger and Phil. And the match play of match plays, my, my first thought, and when I always thought about it, is like, how in the world are you going to make match play golf entertaining? Because you just got two guys, and that's it. And then you got them walking up the fairway, and wherever they're going, that's it. But at least when you have a tournament, I can go here, I can go there. It's like so-and-so is on nine, and this and that, whatever. I'm going to let Evan handle most of it, but the two ways I think they'll make this interesting is one, we'll hear what they have to say to each other, and two, they're going to bet on almost everything, which we know they're doing anyway, but the PGA (laughs) Tour never really wanted you to know they were doing or forbade them from doing, but now it seems as if the betting's pretty integral to the event. Yeah, it's amazing that both these guys were on Bloomberg TV before the event, uh, and it struck me how openly they were talking about gambling in golf. Wagering is part of what we do in, in, in the game of golf, and it's just enough to make it uncomfortable or make you think about it, that one particular shot or the next shot. It's an important part of the game, too, mm-hmm. because it, it teaches us how to perform best under pressure. Mm-hmm. It, it's clear that these guys have been doing this for a long time, uh, and part of the allure, I think, of uh, of this pay-per-view showdown is, is the ability, as Scott said, to hear these guys talking to each other uh, and also hopefully get a sense of, of what, what, what a match play would be like if they were just two if it's guys. If you and your friends exactly, betting on the first hole. They on, got 200K on riding on the first hole. Exactly. The, yeah. the first bet was, was wagered birdie, before the thing yeah, started. Phil says he'll make birdie. Two, $200,000 on Phil to, to birdie the first hole. Um, I'm not sure if this is the, the future of, of golf telecast quite yet. It, it, that's something that Phil said uh, before the match as well, that he thought this was kind of the future of, of, of how uh, sports media is, is going to look. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, it, it is shocking to me how quickly, especially a sport like golf, has moved to embrace gambling. There's there's li- the live odds up on uh, on the screen, changing each hole. How quickly you know golfers and golf have moved to embrace this new industry. This has been done for years, and they said years. this during the interview is like this is going to be just like back at the club. It's like all right, we're going to you get a, a, a foursome. We're going to do the skins game and all this is going on. They've done this for years. And yep. golf lends itself very well to especially the live betting oh, live betting. Type. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're young, uh, you want to get involved in golf. I mean, this is like the demo they sh- they're after, and this is a way to do it. Let folks be on the course with their phones, betting as each shot is going in the water or some guys on the green and want. I, I, absolutely. The interesting part to me, though, Eben, is that they could not do this, meaning Tiger and Phil, without approval from the PGA. Mm-hmm. Like They had to get PGA approval to appear in an event. So the fact that the PGA helped to shape this and you're seeing any messaging coming out of it comes with the blessing and the approval of the PGA. And as we see, a lot of it is all about the wagering. Well, that's a that's a big shift for. I mean, we we've seen Gary Bettman do a U-turn on gambling. That's fine, but the PGA this this they when they put out an RFP for gambling rights, they were like, oh, we don't want anything. No, we don't want anybody talking about this. No, 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 no. Now it's like let's just put our arms around it. <laughs> Welcome the betting world, and let's see if we can make golf cool again. They should have a hat. Make golf cool again. That was, that's like now it's like it, it's it's like 
the prop bet version of Tiger and Phil. I want to see this. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's just, as I've been said, man, gambling is a huge part of this. Uh, Ticketmaster and Fanatics, what's that all about? Yeah, two, two companies that obviously have a tremendous amount of knowledge and data about sports fans and their affinities uh, are pairing up. They're integrating their marketplaces. Ticketmaster, obviously, for tickets. Fanatics, the, the leading seller of licensed sports merchandise. Uh, the idea here is obviously very simple. If, if, if Fanatics sees that Michael Barr lives in, in, in Pennsylvania and bought a Detroit Pistons. Oh, thank God you said Detroit. I thought he was going to say, like, sick. Thank God he, he said Detroit. Bought I was going to jump all over him. Bought a Detroit Pistons T-shirt and hat. Uh, that 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 Ticketmaster might might want to be able to tell you when the Pistons are in New York playing the Knicks, hmm. you know, or vice versa. If Michael Barr buys a ticket to see the Pistons in 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 New York, you know, he might want a Pistons jersey to wear during the game. Uh, so it's a pretty natural partnership. The the two groups are going to share a little bit of information. You'll be able to buy tickets directly uh, through a link on the Fanatics website. If you buy Ticketmaster seats, you'll get cash to spend at Fanatics. It makes sense. By the way, I did wear. Uh, Detroit Pistons jersey when I went to go see a New York <laughs> Knicks bing, game. They bing? Who Dumars. Do you wear? What do you wear? No, I, I had Andre Drummond. Oh, Andre. oh, oh. current day? I didn't see. Oh, no, you, you didn't, didn't see, see that. I didn't I did see, that, see that, coming. that coming. I gotta say. You thought it was gonna be Dave Bing, didn't uh, you? I, 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 yes, I guess it would have been Dave Bing, yes. Bill Lambeer. Yeah, <laughs> the numbers I, are all worn off. Yeah. Man, Rashid you know. Wallace. <laughs> somebody from, you know, the bad boys. Did I tell you the, the, the quick story how I got yelled at in Las Vegas during a poker tournament one time <laughs> while the Detroit Pistons were playing in the playoffs? And this is when uh, it was <laughs> Tayshawn Prince, I'll never forget this as long as I live, made the block of the century. Yeah, it came back in and pinned it on the glass, yeah. Uh, it, it was incredible. Yeah, long arms, Tayshawn Prince. But I was, but I was also it was playing. It, James Woods was there, by the way. I was playing with him. Or as they like Jimmy to say, Woods. Jimmy Woods. Jimmy yeah, Woods. Jimmy Woods, yeah. <laughs> We've morphed into a Seinfeld episode. But I mean, the, a, a Simpsons episode. In the middle of a hand, I mean, it's like, you know, quiet and everything, believe it or not. And all of a sudden, I went, oh, oh. And, and they're, they're looking at me like, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> and it's, We're familiar with the It's look. like, you know, <laughs> can you play the hand? Yeah, really, thank you. Can you play the hand? I'm like, and I was trying to explain about the Tayshaun Prince block, but everybody knows what I'm talking about against Reggie Miller. That was that was great. I I had I too have an awful awful story. Like I, I made an exclamation, an audible exclamation, in the venue. It, it happened to be when the Pacers came down to beat the Knicks with the th- all the three pointers at the right. end. I'm I'm not going to tell you what venue because I, I mean it really was terrible. But I was young. <laughs> it was just in the day you got scores on a beeper. There were no mobile phones. We actually were like beta testing it in the early days of Bloomberg Sports. They sent us this beeper looking thing. That sent sports scores. So I saw the Knicks were up by a bunch with 20 seconds to go. Okay. And then the next time I checked, the Knicks had lost. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and off air, I'll tell you the venue. But I, to this day, I live in shame. Uh, if it was in, like, you know. I, I, I'm not saying okay. you guys will not reveal it after. Right, I, I will, people I, can guess if they want it to. It was the White House, guys. <laughs> I'd have been fine in the White House. That's all I'll say. Uh, yes, network. What's going? In fact, there are a lot of people involved in this with the Yes Network. Yeah. All of a sudden, I see uh, Ontario teachers involved. Amazon, what's up? Well, as we know, the Yankees have the option to take back Yes Network as part of their deal when they sold it to Fox, and now Fox is selling to Disney. Disney has to divest. 
But the Yankees have already told Disney and Fox they intend to take it back. The interesting part here are the strategic partners. Likely to be Amazon. We know Amazon is interested. Um, that's your what would be called your strategic partner. But the money partners, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan used to own Maple Leaf Sports and, right. and the Maple Leafs. And then kind of interesting, uh, Mubadala. That's the sovereign wealth fund of the UAE. Right. So global money coming into U.S. sport and media and scale. The, these are some very interesting partners if this deal comes to fruition. Is the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund the same pension fund that invested in the Sport Radar, or was it Sport Genius recently? No, it's a different, different, different pension fund. Yeah, yeah, okay. I was going to say, that's some interesting yeah, sports different investors pension fund, But Ontario Teachers, a bit like Providence Equity, sort yeah. of always a lot around sports, like right especially the media side of things. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, look who wound up buying MLSC. It was sure. Rogers and, and Bell, a total media play. So... Um, yeah, you, you see these sort of investments. You're wondering, like, well, is this where they should be? Is your money safe? But historically, if you're sort of tracking, yeah, pro sports is a safe investment. And we talked about Amazon's interest uh, and and early bid for the all the other RSNs as well. Um, just show you know this, this shows how how adamant and how interested they are, right? If the other bidding is for the 21, not including yes, they obviously want to want the crown jewel, want to be involved in the crown jewel RSN as well. Um, and this is a way to do that as well. Now, I'm going to bring up uh, the newsy part of it here because uh, we have the UAE involved in this. And in fact, it just happened a few days ago uh, that a British student who was in the in Dubai, he's, he was held and he's been there since May. Well, now they've convicted him of spying and it's a life sentence. So I bring this up is that are there any political implications because the UAE is involved in this? Not that I have heard of. I mean, you, it, could, you could envision a future in which there might be, but in the same way that, you know, the a lot of businesses that were associated with Saudi money in the past couple months have have, have had to call up and, and publicly right. answer for those relationships, but right now I'm, I'm not aware of any. I didn't mean to bring it crashing down. Debbie, Debbie Downer. <laughs> I, it was, Debbie but Downer. I mean, but, it, but it's a part of it, so, but. Anyway, now let's get to this week's interview with Chuck Baker from O'Melveny. Chuck has been involved on the legal side, advising some of the biggest names, richest folks looking to buy teams in pro sports. Yeah, a good majority of our listeners out there, Chuck has uh, been involved in business dealings with with your favorite team, more likely than not, I feel like. But most recently, <laughs> David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. Panthers. All right, so Mr. Chuck, uh, there's your bio. Why don't we start with this? What's the difference in your job now and let's say a decade ago? Good question, Scott. So for one, um, you know, the sports business wasn't really a business, uh, not to the extent it is now. You had, you know, teams trading occasionally, uh, but you didn't read too much about it because they tended to be passed down uh, across generations. Uh, and you didn't have these um, exciting uh, auction transactions in the sports space. You didn't have the, uh, the NBA teams, you know, trading hands. Uh, or any of the sports leagues as frequently as they do now, and you didn't have such uh, exciting, you know, financially driven buyers like we do now. So it's really become a pretty exciting industry. Do you find that the buyers a decade ago wanted a team because they wanted a team, and now the due diligence is on things like, well, what's the real estate opportunity? What's the media opportunity? What are the other opportunities that it can't just be about the team anymore? Yeah, I do. I think I think teams will always be a uh, a trophy property, 
when you own a lot of other things, um, oftentimes the one thing left is a professional sports team. Um, but the revenue and earnings potential of a lot of these assets has gone through the roof. And so uh, smart investors, hedge fund, private equity, real estate are looking at the media and real estate opportunities around their venues to try to uh, extract additional revenue opportunities. So it's really it's really a change, change game. You reminded me about Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. When he bought the team, if my memory is right, back in 89, he bought it for $150 million, which was a record then. And now he has told Bloomberg that it is worth about $10 billion. Can, can you expand on just how sports franchises have exploded? So I guess it's worth what anybody will pay for it, right? And I didn't invent that. I think you, Scott, invented that that. Uh... That quote. I'm not taking um, credit for that. Invented. One. Not I'm not taking. Credit. I use it a lot, but I don't think I invented it. Well, if Mr. Jones can get ten billion dollars, I'd, I'd probably encourage him to do that. But uh, <laughs> that's it, a nice way it, of saying it's not worth ten billion dollars. Well, I'm bullish on the NFL and uh, the other U.S. professional leagues. Can I jump um, in? Let me let me jump in for one second, though. Yeah, why are you bullish on the NFL at a time when so many people see so many headwinds? The NFL is riding high with a terrific uh, set of media agreements. Uh, as you guys know, media has been the fuel that has uh, driven these escalating franchise values over the last five and ten years. Uh, so the media deals in the NFL are exceedingly strong right now. We have labor peace. Um, we have a strong U.S. and a generally strong global economy. Uh, the sponsor economics are very strong right now, and the ratings decline of the last two years has softened a bit. So I think uh, there's every reason to be optimistic. Uh, the NFL tried to have another game in Mexico. Um, it didn't happen, but there will be another one there soon. And so I think for all of the leagues, uh, all five of the major U.S. leagues, uh, international expansion is still on the horizon. And so when you combine that with... Um, some of the other metrics I, I just mentioned, um, there's no reason not to be bullish. So given all that, and I want to go back to Jerry Jones for a second, how crazy is his $10 billion uh, assertion? Well, look, I don't want to call Mr. Jones crazy. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to call the assertion crazy. But when you look at a number like that, uh, the revenue and earnings multiples are very, very high. There are very, very few industries, you know, maybe – Maybe cannabis, uh, maybe gaming or crypto today, though doubtful, that can claim multiples like that. So I think, you know, at some point, uh, notwithstanding the accreting values in the league, it's, it's hard to justify certain multiples unless you're a very, very long-term investor. We are chatting with Chuck Baker. He's the co-chair of the sports industry group at Old Maveny. And Chuck, so if a client comes to you and says, I want to be involved in pro sports... And of course, I think your first question is, well, how much do you have to spend? Do you warn them about anything? Do you dissuade? Get, tell me about that conversation, because obviously these are very high net worth individuals that, that show up at, at your, your desk. What do you say to them? What's that conversation like? So a few things, Scott. It's a great question. So, yeah, how much do you want to spend is a great starting point. Um, and how much can you spend is another. Um, most of the opportunities today... Uh, are you, you won't read about or hear about on Bloomberg um, because they're minority trades. So 
3% of an MLS team, you know, 6% of an MLB team. And we have lots of those in the office now, uh, several on my desk as we speak. Uh, and so, you know, one recommendation to somebody who hasn't owned a team before is to start as a minority investor. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, owning a team, it's a business, uh, and it's a scrutinized business. Being in a control position uh, can, be, can be challenging. It's, it's certainly exciting. Uh, but uh, there's, a, um, there, there's reason to uh, approach prudently and to uh, invest as a minority, uh, learn a bit more about the business, and uh, you know, keep, keep your eyes open for opportunities down the road. So I, I've actually always kind of wondered about a lot of these minority stake sales. You know, I, I totally understand if you want to get vetted by a league and, and kind of dip your toe in. I understand if there's a path to ownership or a, a board seat. Um, but it certainly seems as though we, we consistently see a lot of minority stakes go for sale to people that don't have their designs on, on owning, you know, a much bigger piece of the team. Um, and I'm not, it's not clear to me exactly what they're getting by buying 3% of a, of a baseball team. Um, that's a good question, Evan. And some would say, you know, buying season tickets is a lot cheaper if that's what you're really after. That's what uh, Mike Rapoli said when the Met member, when the Mets were selling their stakes. Mike Rapoli was obviously one of the guys who was looked at. He said, I'd rather just have season tickets with no headache and I get as much access as I want. But you can't have Mr. Met come to your wedding. Can you? <laughs> that's, you're missing something at the bar mitzvah, that's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good, it's a great question, Evan. Um, I think you know there are often perks that come with ownership, even of very small pieces, whether it's you know Mr. Met at the bar mitzvah, uh, or seriously you know access to the players, to the the team playing, to special media events, uh, and things of that sort. But I think more importantly, um, we just talked about uh, the sort of ever accreting value of these uh, franchises. And so if you're looking for a place to uh, invest, uh, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the compound annual growth rate uh, in all five leagues uh, exceeds the S&P and NASDAQ um, by multiples over the last 5, 10, and 20 years. So it's actually a, uh, a super smart investment. It has proven to be that. And so I think, you know, more than your seats, uh, you're, you're investing in a, in a high growth um, solid opportunity. I want to expand on something that Scott and Devin were talking about, and you mentioned that if someone comes in and they want to buy a franchise, you say, well, how much are you willing to spend? Well, how many players are in this pool? Because if you have people like Jack Ma saying, hey, hey, whoa, this this might be too much, how many players are left? Well, you know, the, NBA, the NFL rather recently uh, uh, relaxed its cross-ownership rules to try to among other things, expand the pool of potential buyers. Um, you know, as, as the prices continue to climb, I think it's going to become more and more challenging to find qualified, liquid buyers. But um, look, there's there's only you know 30 or so teams in each of the four or five major leagues here. There continues to be a scarcity value, and I think for some time now, will continue to be uh, a lot more buyers than there are opportunities to invest. So. Um, I still think we've got a, a, a healthy market. For our listeners out there who, who might not know, can you kind of give a, a quick rundown of what that change was for cross-ownership and how effective you think it might be in, in actually broadening the list of people out there who, who may be interested in NFL teams in the future? Sure. So the NFL cross-ownership rules uh, prohibited the owner of a team in another league uh, from buying an NFL team 
if they were in a city that competes, uh, if, if their other professional sport team uh, was in a city that competes with the NFL. So Steve Ballmer uh, couldn't buy the Seahawks, for example? Uh, he could not because, um, right, because of the cross-ownership rules. And, uh, and importantly, he, he owns the Clippers. Uh, the NFL obviously has a team or two in L.A., and it's that uh, conflict, the competition for uh, seats in the L.A. market uh, that prevented uh, someone like Steve Ballmer from, from buying an NFL team. Uh, by uh, eliminating that rule, it now opens uh, the door to NBA and other professional team owners uh, to invest in the NFL, regardless of where their other teams may play. Where are the real opportunities, Chuck? Someone comes to you and says, I've got some money, I've got decent money. Where are the best opportunities? I mean, when you take into account the buy-in number, the, the future revenue possibilities. How much money uh, are we talking here? Yeah, well, let's, let's, say I had, uh, let's say I had a billion. Let's okay. say I had a billion dollars. <laughs> we can't even buy a Let, helmet, Let's just man. say, <laughs> where, where do you say, well, for these reasons, I suggest we look at X, Y, and it doesn't even have to be a U.S. league. could be international, could be small, could be niche. Uh, you tell me, what do you like? Well, I, you know, like any investment, Scott, it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for uh, a solid, you know, dividend-paying stock, uh, the NFL has certainly been uh, proven to be, to be uh, very, very solid and will continue to be. Uh, the other leagues continue to move in that direction. If you're looking uh, for a growth stock, uh, certainly MLS has increased astronomically. Uh, the expansion fees, as well as the secondary prices for teams, uh, have accreted faster than the other five leagues over the last 10 years. So uh, obviously the admission price uh, for MLS is a lot less than it is for the NFL. But if you had a billion dollars, um, you, know, you can't go wrong, uh, in my view, investing in the NFL. And, you know, there's speculation uh, about a few teams that may come on the market soon. Everybody has looked at and you guys have written and spoken about the opportunity in Seattle. Uh, with Paul Allen's passing, so folks are looking there closely, and you know we'll see what happens. Uh, so I think it, it depends on uh, what you're looking for with the investment, and you know wh- where you want to be. Um, you know, will Seattle attract a lot of folks on the East Coast? Maybe, likely not. Um, and so uh, it, it's geo-specific as well. I remember one owner. Uh, we can say it was Mark Lassery told me when he was looking at a team, the criteria he used was when the game's over. Can I hop on a plane and be sleeping on my pillow? If it was too far for that, he wasn't very interested. <laughs> I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in where uh, somebody draws a circle. If they had those things called protractors, they might might use one of those. Yep. And they'll draw a circle around their home base, uh, and uh, it may extend out uh, two and a half hours by by air. And those are the cities that come into play. And so, you know, there's a lot to be said for being able to go uh, and visit your asset, right? Yeah. Was that a protractor or is that a compass? Which one of which one are we uh, using? Uh, you could use either. I you, think. Can, you could yeah, probably I use the. I, all right. It's been a long a time. With and by the way, Chuck, you yeah. left. I was I was helping my son with his homework last night, and I use helping very liberally be, because I just couldn't do it. He's in fourth grade. It New was like what, if, what is one quarter of five ninths of seven sixteenth? And they suggested four minutes for the problem. I gave up after two. 
I thought you had more dexterity with your slide rule than that. Yeah, I, I wish uh, I did. The abacus broke, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> fingers, toes, and abacus. I was out. We're speaking with Chuck Baker, co-chair of the, the Sports Industry Group at O'Melveny. Uh, and Chuck, in the past couple years, you've repped a, a, a big NBA team that sold the, on the buy side, the uh, the Atlanta Hawks. You were in on the the NFL deal most recent, you know the the Carolina Panthers. Um, going through both of those processes, do, do you have any? Is there a difference between kind of the outlook or, or the types of buyers that you think are interested in, in NBA teams versus NFL teams? There's a lot of talk about maybe the NBA and and maybe taking market position from the NFL from a dollars and cents standpoint. So the NBA is a fantastic global property. Um, I can't speak highly enough about the job that they've done. Uh, the NBA stars are, you know, many of them individually developing their own brand. Um, they wear shorts, and and, uh, uh, and you can see them. You can see them on the court. They're media stars, and the stories are, are legend. So the NBA is a great property, and, you know, we can see the values of NBA teams with the most recent sale of the Houston Rockets, you know, creeping up. Uh, into into NFL zones, and so um, I think you're gonna you're gonna see similar buyers uh, for each of the assets. Um, you know, so, so, some people love football, some basketball, and some both. But I think both represent tremendous opportunities um, for long-term appreciation. Uh, and most of these teams are cash flowing and making money as well. Uh, both sports are looking to be more international. Uh, NBA is probably a bit ahead of the NFL in that regard because. Basketball is obviously followed uh, abroad uh, more closely and played abroad uh, more so than football, but I think both have great prospects now. And you mentioned Paul Allen uh, a little while ago, obviously the owner of the, the Seahawks and the, the Trailblazers you know, combined worth probably over $3 billion. Um, he passed away, unfortunately, about a month ago, about with cancer. When, when something like that happens and you know there's suddenly a lot of speculation about multiple teams that may be hitting the market, uh, he didn't have a, a wife or, or children. There wasn't an immediate succession plan that was obvious. Um, do you? How, how quickly do do sports bankers think about you know reaching out to the estate? Do you wait until you, they make a public statement? How does that process work when suddenly a team might be on the market? Well, you'd like to hope everybody is respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bankers and I should uh, say lawyers can be a hungry bunch, but um, it, it, it's nice to show proper respect. Uh, I think the the will has been you know made public on certain media outlets, and it's uh, clear that um, his sister Jody's the administrator for the estate, and so um, you know, we'll see in time. But um, to suggest that uh, we've not been you know taking calls or having meetings um, you know with respect to folks that may be interested in in the assets um, would not be true. So it's look these there, there is still a scarcity value. Um, it's a great, great run franchise, and uh, people are still interested and bullish, uh, as we heard Mr. Jones a few days ago uh, about the league. And so, um, yeah, pe- people are interested in, in having this this opportunity. And do you think those assets sell for more combined if they're separate or together? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, you know, personally, uh, I don't necessarily uh, see the accretive value or synergy. They're in they're in different cities uh, to be sold together. I think the class of buyers who could afford both is very very limited. Uh, my instinct is that they will sell separately, and that uh, assuming they both sell, the estate would uh, 
get more uh, doing it that way. But um, again, uh, just remains to be seen, and uh, if the teams are even even sold. Now we know you as Charles Baker, super dude, but we also want to present you as Charles Baker, overall good guy. Because I want to talk about you're on the board with the March of Dimes, and you also work with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Can you tell us about that experience and what it's all about? Sure. I mean, we all have different uh, resume and, 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 and eulogy values. I, uh, I've really enjoyed the time with the March of Dimes, sitting with uh, Sean McManus and some other terrific industry leaders uh, putting on the March of Dimes Sports Luncheon, which is actually uh, next week uh, in New York City. We'll be honoring, among others, uh, legendary Joe Willie Namath, uh, I've got his uh, picture on the wall behind my desk, signed from uh, probably 1967. It's uh, a keepsake I'll always treasure. You want my best um, Joe Namath? You want my best Joe Namath impersonation, Chuck? Absolutely. Uh, uh, Mr. Sonny Werblin, Mr. Sonny Werblin understood the entertainment value. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> That's Not Joe bad. Namath? <laughs> uh, Mr. Sonny Werblin. <laughs> yes, that sounded just... more like Foghorn Langhorn, uh, man. I didn't say it was good. I said it was my best. <laughs> I didn't say it was good. <laughs> Sorry. And I'll be at your table, Chuck. Thank you very much. Yeah. Looking forward to having you. That was the price I had to pay to get on your podcast. Never, right? never. The, the invitation <laughs> has always been out there. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm just sorry we couldn't do it on a week when uh, Barr was out. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, let me ask yeah, you Yeah, no, it, it gives me a lot, a, lot of, a lot of gratification, and it's a terrific cause. Likewise, the Leukemia Society. Uh, where we've, uh, you know, hosted the New York Mets welcome home dinner every year uh, with the generosity of the New York Mets, uh, and their ownership group has also been a tremendous event. So they're both both terrific ways of giving back, uh, supporting two tremendous causes and things that, uh, you know, that, that make it all worthwhile. And, Chuck, the benefit of being at a big firm after these transactions, whether it be David Tepper and the Panthers or some of the others, the firm puts out a press release and says, oh, your name's at top. You know, Chuck Baker led the, led the drill. However, I, I'm assuming that there's also folks from the tax department, the wills and estates department, perhaps. Like, this really is, these are all-encompassing transactions. It's, it's not just you. Uh, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't do it on my own without the support of a big law firm, uh, 32 colleagues across, across the country on that most recent transaction, but that's not atypical. Um, you know, pitching in in various ways uh, across practice groups, whether it's tax, employment, employee benefits, uh, capital markets, litigation, all of those are brought to bear on a deal. And importantly, going forward, um, you know, you just don't sit owning a team. You look at other opportunities, as we talked about earlier, whether it's real estate, media, esports, sports technology, gaming. Um, there are all these opportunities to. Uh, monetize your asset and so there's a lot of expertise that gets brought to bear on that and so having a uh, an all-encompassing uh, practice group is is important to uh, the team buyers and sellers and I'm, I'm delighted that I'm able to to call upon those resources at O'Melveny. Chuck before we let you go let's go back to the, the way beginning of your career for a second you worked in Senator Bill Bradley's office is that right? I did. That was before I. Any good uh, Bill Bradley stories career. out there? What, what did you learn from that experience? Um, you know, Bill was a remarkable, remarkable guy. Said about a lot of people, but he's uh, uh, one of those guys who uh, made you feel like you were the only person in the room. Uh, super smart, super focused, 
super kind, uh, a charitable guy, uh, wrote a book years back that still sits on one of my coffee tables called Values of the Game, where he analogizes uh, some of the things he learned in sports uh, with some of his values in life, and it's a, it's a terrific read. Um, but really a, uh, a remarkable guy who um, you know, piqued my interest uh, in sports. I went to work with him in the Senate. Uh, well, primarily because I was a Knicks fan, not because I was a marvelous student. <laughs> um, but it was a tremendous learning experience. And, uh, you know, like many, I wish I wish he would have been our president at some point. Would you imagine, could you imagine, Chuck, hanging in a locker room, Frazier, Bradley, Jackson, DeBusher, Reed, Monroe? It was an unbelievable squad. <laughs> How exciting would that have been? Uh, <laughs> MSG would uh, would would like to see it these days. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Chuck Baker, the co-chair of the sports industry practice at Olmeveni. Thank you so much for taking some time. Enjoy the holiday. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks so much. Takeaways, well, oh, there's so many of them, and it's never mind. And and I I was joking around with uh, Chuck, calling him Super Dude, but. I really enjoy the stuff that he also does on the side. I mean, especially with the March of Dimes. Uh, I mean, it's here's a guy who is literally a mover and shaker. I know that's an overworked phrase, and he takes the time out to uh, to help others. I, I'm impressed about that. Yeah, I, I'm always struck with what these teams are these days as global entities and how complicated these transactions are. You know, in the journalism field, we always just want to report the now, 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 what's happening. With the, and you, sometimes you need to take a minute and say, well, this isn't signed and this wording isn't right. And they do fight over words. I mean, it, right there, they're, they're scratching off words up until deals are signed at, at the, the last second. And the fact that it takes a firm like O'Melveny, all of its departments, and he named a whole bunch, it can be tax, it can be finance, it can whatever, it can be wills and estates, that this is not a one-man operation and that these these teams have become such big entities that these are no longer mom and pop simple let's let's drop a contract on the back of a napkin doesn't work that way anymore yeah i appreciated his answer about uh minority stake sales and and that's obviously a big part of of his job Um, but it's easy to look at a a three percent stake being sold to to somebody and and wonder why you're paying an extraordinary amount of money for what essentially amounts to uh to season tickets uh but 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 the truth is that you know there's there's some other value in that and depending on the franchise and depending on the price you're paying it also might just be a good investment um and and i appreciated him talking let me tell you about that. i wrote years ago i wrote a story about why people invest in those small stakes and Peter Nordstrom told me a great story. His dad owned the Seahawks. Mm. And when they made a move that was unpopular, the team wasn't good, they would get Nordstrom credit cards cut up back in the mail. Wow. <laughs> and the Coors family invested in the Rockies. They yeah. really weren't interested in the team. But you know why they did it? Because they did want the naming rights. Yeah. And, of course, being a part owner of the team helped them get the So you're really never sure what the motivation is mm-hmm. because some for some it's as simple as in their core business, they can actually bring, bring a proposed partner in a, in a deal to the field or to the locker room, and that's something that nobody else can offer, and it sure. could seal a deal. It was really that fun, was a really fun story to report because nobody had the same motivation, mm. and there were things that I hadn't thought of, yeah, like like Nordstrom, like Coors. So it, it was it was fun to hear those folks tell their stories. Yep. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. And this one, 
See, I get excited. Number of this. letters in Joey Logano's name. Yeah, well, that was, <laughs> <laughs> I almost, I almost put up twenty-two, but that's not that's not what it was going to be. But uh, th- thank you, Joey. Congratulations again, by the way, for winning the championship. But this number is one hundred five. One hundred five. Eben, Whoa, one of the weeks man. we did not discuss the number. I, I, I. I gotta start paying so more attention. What you hit on the numbers. radar gun at softball this weekend? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> the number of points scored in the Monday mm, night football uh, game. Uh, that was an easy yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, we should have. Yeah. We should have. See, it, it. It, my goodness, the Rams fifty-four, the Chiefs fifty-one. You put up fifty-one points and you lose. Yeah. How does that happen? The other it, team scores more. It, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Captain Abacus. We appreciate that very yeah, much. Yeah, ask the question. <laughs> but, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it was a game for the ages. And I, I, I loved it. And it's, it, of course, being a fantasy player, I loved it because it was just gold for all the points that was scored. But if you – I think uh, Scott Van Pelt said it the best. If you didn't like that game, you just want to be angry for the rest of your life. <laughs> We're recording this about a mile away from NFL headquarters, and I think I can see Roger Goodell smile from, uh, <laughs> I from can the tell window. I a whole bunch of people who are angry. Mexico City. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> the, the folks who had tickets in Mexico City, they're angry because they would have had one heck of a game. Yeah. And we, we talked about this last week. This was matchup wise, was probably the, the most enticing matchup the NFL could have. And the fact that it lived up to its billing exceeded it. I think, it, its I think it was the most watched Monday night game in, yeah. in four or five years. Uh, that, that's great for the NFL. NFL ratings in trouble. <laughs> You've been listening to that. That was great sarcasm, wasn't you. it? You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, and we are here each and every week at the same time. Plus, online as a podcast, we're available. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick, and I'm Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi under. Score Williams. Happy Thanksgiving and thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we continue to speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. I am 10 pounds heavier now. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online where our podcast is available.